As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you Why mad? You mad? All right. Hey, Luisa, what's up? Hey, Jake, how's it going? Man, uh, it's uh, all going a lot. Um, this has been quite a week for the content of this podcast. There's... Dude, art, art getting crazy out there. I actually, you know what I did forget to tell you in our rundown of things we might talk about? Yeah. The gold cube. The gold cube. Oh, right. The first <laughs> well, I was like, a, gonna, this is the yeah. beginning of all this crap. I, I totally forgot mm-hmm. about the gold cube. I know. That feels like a month ago now, but let's just <laughs> add it on the list there. But anyway, what was what what had your juices flowing the most that made you forget about the gold cube? <laughs> I mean, right off the dome, the first thing, the, the last thing that happened, it was just a minute ago, I just saw this clip yeah. of uh, Jimmy Fallon doing like the, like ha- he had one of those Boston Dynamics evil robot dogs that there was a Black Mirror episode about on mm. the show and he's doing the officer friendly thing with it where he's like, wow, look at it. It's like so much fun. And like between I just been thinking about Jimmy Fallon a lot because like I don't <laughs> how, how I don't know how anyone could possibly not see this. This and then the the NFT thing where he's like clearly yes. part of the NFT grift yeah. and he's trying to fucking subjugate everyone else underneath the you know the pump and dump scheme and then yeah. like back going all the way back to 2016 when he like had on Trump and stuff how do you not look at this and go like this fucking asshole if we crashed on a plane he would have he'd be eating people like the first day you know what I mean like he's so fucking evil and will take a paycheck to uh you know to sanitize the most evil shit on earth it's yeah. insane man i don't know that stuff like that just makes me like very aware of like living in a declining empire and all that shit um that that's pretty bad but um oh and the reason i i think that was so stark and i was thinking about it a lot today is cuz at the, also today same day there's this piece published about how they are looking at using those robot dogs to guard the fucking border to keep Mexicans from coming into the country and shit. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I think I'll return to that later because that, that plays into a, a, another thing that I had to talk about. Um, at, at first, I think... Okay, my my rhizome today is, uh, I, is about Spotify and the Joe Rogan stuff because... Um, you know, if once you've been living under a rock, you've probably heard about all this bullshit where people are arguing about Spotify, uh, Neil Young leaving, Joe Rogan saying the N-word and shit, free speech, yeah. etc. cetera. Uh, the main kind of th- lens that I think it's important to look at it through, other than just purely like, you know, anti-capitalist or whatever, is uh, is th- over the the idea of intellectual property because i had steve albini on my other show are you a mm-hmm. fan of his i was almost like man i should maybe try to get so him you know what's funny is that uh i know his name because of you yeah okay i've talked about him and, on the show before yeah you've talked to me about him and then i guess because our phones listen to us i started seeing his tweets yeah and they fucking make me laugh yeah, <laughs> so I, yeah so i like followed him and then later i was like 
I had to ask my lover. I was like, hey, who's Steve Albini? And he was like, <laughs> he tells me and I was like, oh, OK, got it, got it. Yeah, that's the guy Jake talks to me about. It's just I hadn't heard the name. And then now I follow him on Twitter, but I never like put it together real good. <laughs> he's also one I'm of those, terrible with names. Yeah. Well, he's also one of those people that doesn't use like their face and stuff. He doesn't have a blue yeah. check mark. It's really weird. Like, even if you like him, it's like, is it even him or whatever? Yeah, but, yeah. OK, well, I'm glad because I, he's fr- like. I was I I was like this is a fucking coin flip. Either Louise is gonna be really mad that she didn't get to meet this person, or she doesn't fucking know who it is. Because like mm-hmm. you're, you, I know your interests are. So it's both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like I'm a little bit more into the punk stuff than you. You know what? It's in generally oof. So I'm gonna be the bad guy in this episode just okay. because of the horrible opinion that I'm gonna share right now, which is that I don't know as much about music as I do about most other art forms yeah and partially it's i think because it is difficult for me to evaluate it as an art form because it is most often a group activity that has different players at different times constituting the same fucking organization or whatever institution um and i just always felt about music to be honest with you it was like something maybe that i was bullied out of yeah. Because growing up in any country <laughs> that I lived in, in any city, everything was just so like, prove that you prove that you like this, prove that you know everything, prove that you know the name of this of the album. And this is like pre-Google and shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it really was like people memorizing album titles and knowing the order of the tracks, you know, and like fucking it's all this shit that I'm just conspicuous yeah. consumption music yeah it's crazy Dude, how much totally jake when i was in high school i was like a freshman in high school right and i'm like a little freshman and i'm a fucking weirdo kind of town boy tomboy 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 <laughs> and i am like in a big ass high school that is like multi-racial and you know all that stuff all kinds of immigrants and i'm like walking down the hallway wearing like very big pants like jenkos you know yeah and a very large wu-tang shirt okay and a group of seniors men boys senior boys <laughs> black and latino immediately like start like hollering at me like yo 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 come over here <laughs> and i'm like ah <laughs> shit and i like go over there and they're like why are you wearing that shirt you know you like wu-tang okay tell us what fucking tracks and like i could answer a lot of their questions because yeah. i did genuinely like wu-tang and listen to it but it was just like such a mean thing to do and like right. ultimately you know i became friends with some of those dudes and i still would say i know more about hip-hop than most music but in every kind of music, like, I think maybe that's why I became a raver, because in rave world, people weren't like that. They didn't, like, test you about what your favorite DJ and track was and whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that I very, at a very early age, kind of, like, decided, okay, well, it's too late. I can't memorize all this canon now and, like, figure it out in a way where stand-up was my own and nobody was, like, by the yeah. time anybody was like, oh, yeah, prove what you know about stand up. I definitely knew more about stand up than them. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it just there was no gatekeepers for me in, in my approach to stand up. And then I even had like uh, other ways in which people diminished the, the way I appreciated music. Like, for example, in art school, yeah, uh, my secondary studio art was painting, you know, like oil painting and shit. And my painting for teacher professor whatever this motherfucker he like did not so at painting classes art classes are like six hours at a time so it's like six hours in a day and then you have like a break in the middle yeah and this guy would not let you listen to music or wear headphones while you were painting 
for six hours, Jake. Do you know why? Why? Because, as he said, uh, music is also an art, and you don't put another art in the background while you're doing an art. <laughs> you know, like that's disrespectful to one or the other. Yeah, totally. Like you're supposed to be giving your full attention to one or the other. Which I think is a very contrary view to like how a lot of younger people who are oversaturated with media will watch TV while listening to something, you know, like whatever, have multiple or like play a video game while listening to a podcast, multiple inputs have it happening at once. Yeah. That was discouraged in the way that I took in music also. It was like, well, you're not paying attention to the lyrics. Well, you're not like, you know, like people <laughs> are just like so fucking policey yeah. about music. Oh, music sucks. It, yeah. Niche art forms are way more fun because they don't have no one cares that, enough to, yeah. to police you like that. Well, so, OK, here's the thing, though. You should a you should listen to that episode because it's like maybe one of the best things we've ever done cool. on the podcast. Yeah. Um, mostly just because he he's just a get. I just got him. That's all I did. But he's mm -hmm. very smart. He's really cogent. And uh, also yeah. he fucking hates music. So like he, you, what he I didn't would, want to say. Uh, I was getting there. But <laughs> I was like, ah, people are going to hate me. No, I think I kind of hate music. <laughs> no, he, but he would agree. I think with everything you're saying, like he hates yeah. pop music. He likes music, but he doesn't yeah. like all this bullshit that's coming about it. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is, exactly. I think I'm gonna wait a while, but I think I think you would. I think you should meet him because I think you guys. I'm gonna try to get him on the show. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, if you're listening, he could be my boyfriend. Don't tag. Don't be annoying. I don't want to abuse oh, yeah. the fact that I have access to a music legend. But uh, man, I think yeah, that yeah. he would be no, such be a good cool one mad guest. So, um, what like one of the things that he talked about though is uh, he's great. I mean, it was like reading Marx or something. It was like one of those people that has so much fucking experience in the music industry and is just wired in such a way where they just like yes. cannot possibly buy into the bullshit of it that uh, he's a wealth of information and he was talking about like stuff that no one even understands about the business model of the recording industry that goes into all this because everyone that argues like on the basis of free speech or whatever sort of makes these assumptions like well anyone's free to pull their music at any time and and but if they do then yada 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 and this is how this works and yeah. whatever and so uh, one thing that he pointed out immediately that I think is way overlooked in a lot of this stuff is that the way Spotify was formed is that way, way back in like the 90s, you know, when record labels were these big, huge monsters and like um, you had to buy their CDs and stuff. This is kind of or this is the, like the end of them being like this or whatever up until the aughts. They um, they had these big record deals that they would offer artists and they would put you through this process of being like the flavor of the month, 15 minutes of fame and stuff. And they would give you a lot of money up front. And the record contracts were um, all by and large, all of the bands that you think are the most famous people of all time. And like, you know, you ever wonder, you ever like think about a band from the 90s? You're like, man, I bet they're still so rich off those royalties. Well, usually they aren't. And we know that because we met Max from Eve Six. And he's a great example of this. But like, yeah, basically what happened is when you bought into a record label, the standard contract that you signed was very misleading because you would get uh, maybe, you know, what is it? What is it called? Advanced a bunch of money to like do the tour and make the money and stuff like that. And then the record industry just wrote in all of these ways for the money that you're producing to go off and pay off like packaging and different people that work in the, you know, the, the process of making these tours and labels and fucking records and stuff like that. And then you also have this like point system. That's really not, 
even that lucrative, but even the money that does get made off of it gets like siphoned off the side or whatever. So like by and large, a lot of people that bought into the major record label system got like a lot of money up front and then are like, it's like student loans. Like you'll just never pay it off, you know? So you're fucked. And there's this thing with, there's a clause in major record label contracts that just said like, um, also, you know, we own the rights to this music for, um, you know, this purpose, this purpose, this purpose. And then there's this one like purpose that's just like and unforeseen unknown yes whatever the fuck Mm -hmm. we want to do in the future right well when technology came about and changed the you know scarcity of records and stuff like that and made it to where you could just share music and listen to it and hear it and this is referred to as stealing but it's really just fucking listening to it uh because it exists you know um you uh well so the way they sort of got around this was you know when Spotify was formed, the way it was formed was by record labels that are now don't even sell records anymore. So there's just these other things that just own intellectual property. They would um, agree. They made a deal with like streaming services like Spotify, where they gave blanket access to every person that they had signed in this fashion in exchange for part of the profit that you get off of the stream. So now if you're in a, like a record label deal, like a major one, you uh it's insane because like you're like the company that is playing and selling your music is also like the one making the profit and also it's it's hard to like envision out on paper or whatever but like um there's just no way like you every artist you know that's that's of that era and of that level of fame makes no fucking money yet you have huge people like neil young who are from before this era, so they have yeah. control over their masters and stuff, and so he was able to like leave. And then you have other people like uh like Albini, who's in you know this band called Shellac now or whatever, who went with the um like the DIY thing, kind of like the the way that we talk about making like comedy and stuff like that with independent record labels, and they actually are in a better situation where a they yeah. can leave Spotify if they want, and b they don't get fucked out of royalties like that because they don't have the monstrous thing hanging over the top of it. Uh, yeah. that sucks up all the profit or whatever. And I'm kind of butchering this. So anyone who's curious that wants to hear this, like explain on a microscopic level, listen to the last episode of PDA because he it's like insane listening to someone. It was the through. last episode. Yeah. With Albini? Yeah. Wow. Cool. Okay. Yeah. I'm definitely going to listen to it. Um, so because a lot of what you say you're explaining has me thinking one thing is, uh, this is kind of similar to in one way. It is similar to remember when we talked about the fact that like, the shape of the comedy product has been decided not by the artist's intention, but by the set of people and circumstances that control the distribution of the product. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So like, for example, in comedy, the reason comedians are like, I have to do an hour. I have to have a half hour. I have to have an album is because they conceive of comedy being done to the fullest scope as being done in one of those methods or into one of those shapes because fucking 50 years ago, it was like live places that will put you up, will put you up for 30 minutes or, or an hour. And that's how long a show is. So that's how long you have to talk. (laughs) So then uh, when albums came out, they had to be a certain like standardized length. So then it became that's how long you have to talk. Right. <laughs> and instead of it being like, well, I'm funny enough to do or like I have a prepared thing, you know, like some comics have an encapsulated, well-prepared uh, 17 minute fucking story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That shouldn't 
have to only happen one time in a room somewhere where they went over their 15 minute set. You get me? Yeah. Like uh, it should just be accepted that you need to go for as long as you need to go. But like for real, not because you fucking want to keep talking. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Okay. Um, well, so this Spotify thing, you uh, know, because you mentioned the fact that like these contracts, what has fucked some artists is that the contracts put in this like little loophole for like, other future unspecified ways of distributing the music. It's not even really a loophole, though. It's like it's one of those things where it's like, no, that's actually like, that's not that's not the uh, exception. That's just the rule. Like that's what everyone accepted was normal about these contracts. Well, but no, because there were at the point. So, for example, you know, working on TV, I know that there are TV shows that like we will never see again, right? So, for example, Murphy Brown. We will never see Murphy Brown again. You will Why? never get the box set. <laughs> it will never be streaming anywhere. Because at the time that they made Murphy Brown, uh, a big part of the show Murphy Brown or a big part of the identity of the character was that she was into Motown. So she would like go oh. every day to work and be like a boss lady. Yeah. And then she would come home and she would take her fucking high heels and her man suit off and like jam to Motown with the painter guy. <laughs> and so they would often have like a big either ending credits scene of them singing to some fucking Motown song, <laughs> or it would start off that way. So, so sometimes the stuff like this, you see it gets redubbed with like cheaper yeah, imitation But music. they can't even do it because it's not like they just put it like on the background, you know, it's like yeah. they, the characters interacted with the music. They sang it, they like, you know. Iron so, Chef is like that. The like American uh, <laughs> and the Japanese one have yeah. different music for that reason. It's fucking weird. If that makes sense, yeah. But so because uh, that basically happened because at the time that the show Murphy Brown was being made, the people who were dealing. So first of all, the musicians, like the reason I was saying that the distribution method determined the shape of the art uh -huh. is because that's the same thing that happened with music. Right. Yeah. Is that the need to go to a, an outside party for distribution is what then put artists in a position to be taken advantage of because they couldn't self-distribute. Well, right? Al Albini had a really good run yeah. through of that, which was that, um, and his this is his theory of it, I think, but it like it makes a lot of sense. I think it's very materialist. Yeah. Is that um, what's going on is that intellectual property isn't really like a fucking consistent concept, but it it. Can't, and it just it just does does not compatible with like yeah. this thing, right? But like it's so it's estimation, and the way it came about was this constant uh, need for people that own shit to reinvent scarcity. So like in the beginning, he said there was um, court musicians, and they you know weren't allowed to play the music that they were playing outside of the court because it's not for everyone else, and that's what makes it special about it being played for the king or whatever. <laughs> but then music yeah. notation created a situation where that could music happen. People are so annoying. Yeah. See, back to my earlier point. <laughs> so well, how different is this from the fucking jester and the king and all that? Bullshit? <laughs> Yeah, I guess comedy <laughs> people are also annoying. I admit it on behalf of comedy people. <laughs> <laughs> so then you have music notation, notation, and now you have this ability for music to be like um, passed around and stuff. And people originally, the fucking court people were mad that music notation exists because they're like, well, this thing that's supposed to only be for the king is now being spread around. But what happened is because you could write down music and have other people play it, it spread around their, you know, the d the uh, demand for music because now people like do yeah. never people would have never heard music in their lives but now they can yeah. hear it because being played outside or whatever so then yeah. you know they fight so there's this constant thing where they fight against the new technology and then they fucking figure out a way to make it to oh now I'll set we the court the king 
sells music, you know, or whatever. And then you fucking tax it and you make money off it. Right. Same thing happened yeah. with, um, like the phonograph. Uh, originally they're like, Oh my God, they're pirating music. Essentially they're, you know, yeah. you send these records everywhere. And then they realize, well, sending records everywhere gives people an experience like that. They're able to radio too. Yeah. Like you can sell it to radio. People can hear music who would just never have heard it. Now there's a desire for them to go watch like live concerts and stuff like that. So you see this constant like thing where there's, uh, on the side of the people that own everything, a panic about scarcity going away and then a new way of like re, uh, you know, re wrangling everything and creating a new scarcity. And so like with file sharing, that's basically what happened. And it turned into Spotify and that like that all plays in, I think to my thesis here, which is that the movie Josie and the Pussycats from 2001 is kind of about this. It's a, it's a comedy. So it's really stupid. Um, it's an artifact of its time, which is that back in, back in 2001, you could make a comedy that, uh, wasn't succession or whatever. It didn't have to be like smart or whatever. It's, you know, (laughs) fucking screwball, silly thing or whatever. Um, and I think it kind of went overlooked because, um, you know, because of the, the, the genre, the form or whatever. Uh, it's not like, I'm not saying it's the headiest thing in the world. I'm kind of joking here or whatever, but like <laughs> I, I had a few people recommend it to me. It's one of those cult classics that people were like, no, 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 no. You have to actually watch this because there's actually something to it. And, uh, when I, I watched it last night cause it was just on this list of things that I've been meaning to check out. And yeah. I think that it was written very, very like satirically about these, this aspect, the intellectual property thing of the music industry. And it's Ooh, all, wow. We got such different things from it. Okay. Go on, go on. <laughs> and the the other thing that I wanted to cross it with was, uh, have you ever seen the movie They Live? Yes, but first, first tell me this, like, how is it, how is Josie and the Pussycats about the intellectual property thing? Well, I mean, so the film, if you've never seen, yeah. I'm going to refer to it as a film. The, the film, yeah, podcast. no, no, dude, this is the podcast that took Kevin Smith and White Chicks very seriously. <laughs> we will absolutely grant Josie and the Pussycats the respect it deserves. Go on. Okay, so the film starts with this uh-huh. uh, band of ch- young women who wear, um, you know, cat ears and they have like a theme going yeah, yeah. on and they call themselves the Pussycats. But, yeah. uh, and they just happen to be hanging out in this town that's directly below another thing that's happening, which is on a plane somewhere, there's this record, you know, label Phil Spector guy who's, uh, talks in a British accent. He's played by, um, Alan Tudyk. Tudyk? Coming? One of those guys. No, not Cummings. Okay, Cummings. Um, and he's managing this boy band, which at the time was this huge thing. You know, you had Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Backstreet mm -hmm. Boys and NSYNC and stuff. Dude, and amazing. It's called, what is it? I keep calling it Deja Vu, but it's not. Du jour. And uh, man, it's awesome because I thought I hadn't seen this movie. I had forgotten it. And I just want to throw out there for anyone who hasn't seen it who's like approximately our age. Uh, It's so cool. It has like all the people even be like, dude, I forgot Rosario Dawson was in it. And uh, Tara Reid is playing like a perfectly Tara Reid role. Yeah. And also uh, you, you get the whole thing, the quote inside joke about like, um, what's his name from TRL? Carson Daly. Carson Daly. Like, you know, they were dating at that time. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's why throughout the movie, the joke was that she was like kind of trying to fuck him uh, <laughs> and he was like trying to kill her. Right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, there's like meta stuff that I, that I didn't, really fully look into because I just I don't know I was tired or whatever but like apparently another thing that's going on is that the soundtrack is if you're into like a certain era of pop punk 
better than it should be for a dumb movie like this because it they <laughs> the music is actually being played by like yeah. another band. I think it was uh, uh, their names escaping me. Letters to Cleo or something, and it like resurrected this like kind of girl pop pop punk band or whatever. That's fucking cool. I don't know. Um, there's all sorts of weird stuff going on, but uh, the story being, you know. That there's this guy managing this fucking boy band that they're he represents a record label that's uh you know one of the big huge exploitive ones and yeah. they're hyper and it's exploiting like Seth Green and two of the guys from Scrubs yeah and <laughs> it's like hilarious it's so funny sorry go on it's really funny and uh yeah. the movie starts with them the for them just first of all being very funny and just arguing mm-hmm. making fun of a boy band but then also uh, one of them goes to the uh, the music industry guy. What's the word for this? I'm gonna have to keep saying it. I don't know. But um, the his uh, record executive manager. He's their manager. Manager. That's a good term for it. Yeah, he's their manager because he basically gets the deal with the record company, which is Fiona. Yeah. So he they go to him and they go, "Hey, we noticed there's a backing track on our album." What's going on with this backing track? And then he goes, oh, shit, and, you know, calls in an operation and, you know, says, they figured it out. We got to fucking kill him or whatever, basically. It's uh, kind of not explained all all at the same time. It's set up well. So later on in the in the movie, you kind of figure it out. But he, basically, the plane crashes. Uh, he jumps and out. The with guy parachutes out. Yeah. yeah. And then he finds himself in a, and they were like the biggest band in the world at this point, and they were supposed to play this huge show. And then his yeah. right, his boss at Fiona, the record label, calls him and is like, "What the fuck?" It was Posey Parker? Hello. Yeah, she's great. Nineties lover, <laughs> beloved. Yeah. And so he's like, "Well, they figured out the thing, so I have to get a new band." And she's like, "Well, then get a new fucking band because we need to make all this money off the show that's happening like yeah, tomorrow yeah. or something." So she what- wants to plan a. Stadium show. So don't forget, because this is important, that the whole end goal is to eventually get this baby band of whatever gender to become big enough to play this giant stadium show she's planning. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so he is wandering around this town called Riverdale, which is where all the Archie comics are from. (laughs) And he's driving, and then a couple of other madcap series of events, things happen, slapstick, comedy, yada, yada, yada. He almost runs over this three girls. Then he stops, (laughs) and he sees them in her headlights, and he fucking puts a CD case up, and he looks through it, and he envisions them, and he's like, this is my fucking band. Whoever the fuck (laughs) this is, they're carrying their gear, you know, because I got kicked out of a record thing. And uh, then the premise of the film is born, which is that they're like, you know, kind of bimbos and ditzies and and they're young and naive. And what? Well, I don't know. One of them is like the joke is she's kind of a bimbo or whatever. She's like bubbly. But one of them. Yeah. Just Tara Reid. The rest of them are smart. The other two are smart. Bimbo is a bad word. It's not like gendered thing. It's like a joke about how they're like pure of heart and they're musicians and stuff. And then this guy is like getting one over by them. And it's it's very obvious what he's doing where he's like, um, you know, telling them, oh, yeah, we just really like your music music and they're like really you haven't even heard it and he's like yeah, yeah no you heard it you know and uh all these crazy things are happening and there's like um you know the 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 fucking process of getting your 15 minutes of fame and, and not understanding you're being used and exploited for other purposes by the fucking major record labels which are you know <laughs> they're whining and dining you but like really they're a they're uh, you don't understand they're about to enslave you and be like, they're actually making way more off of this than you. And all of these things that we know yeah. from like Motown and stuff like that. Totally. And from VH1, um, which yeah. 
Oh my god, though, but that was an awesome, also inside joke, sort of. Yeah. Also, now working like, in TV and in VH1, <laughs> like uh, they one of the jokes in the movie for the people who haven't seen it is that uh, Fiona, right, Parker Posey, who runs this unnamed fucking um, music recording company, um, she. Uh, sorry, <laughs> this is so funny. She uh, lays out her plan to these, like, I don't know, like corporate overlords. I don't know who the dudes are, but I, and also like heads of government. So I think she's like showing them their evil plan, which is like, we embed uh, messages in these little people, in little artists' music that gets teenagers to buy stuff and fucking to join the army, et cetera, whatever it is. They right? use subliminal and, messages that are recorded by the movie phone guy. It's yes, very much a product exactly. of its time. It's very funny. Yeah. And so then one of the dudes asks something like, oh, you know, well, don't they, doesn't the artist catch on eventually that you're like doing this and that you're controlling people through their music? And she's like, yeah, it happens sometimes. And then, you know, all we have to do is like, uh, bring them to, you know, given their lifestyle, <laughs> it's easy to like uh, come up with an end. And then what we actually have is a very high rated hit TV show based on their end stories where we explain, you know, car accident, drug overdose, whatever. Yeah. And then they like cut to the thing and it's behind the music. Each <laughs> one behind the music. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's so funny. And like, uh, yeah, that's showing you how the machine all feeds itself. But um, it's funny to me that. You, I mean, not funny, but of course you read it so sympathetically towards artists because I read it as like, kind of like, um, if it wasn't geared towards a younger audience, it would have been a kind of skewering or critique of artists as well, not just of the music industry. Sure. Because even with the boy band at the beginning, they really didn't question it until they were already on a fucking private jet and rich and famous and now it's like kind of bugging them and they're conscious a little bit that this is kind of weird and so we're going to ask you some questions right and that's when they get blown up and uh Josie and the Pussycats well the Pussycats sorry before their name got changed like you said very stupid situation where they quote got discovered in the street <laughs> by a guy who had never heard their music and to me, what we see is that they're not stupid and they're not innocent. I mean, Tara Reid is whatever, <laughs> separate. But <laughs> the other two, you know, Tara Reid, you can totally read as the representation of a pure hearted artist yeah. who is just like so happy to be validated and to share their music with more people and like all that stuff. Right. Yeah. And and that their bandmates are getting success. Like, yeah, she's for sure the embodiment of the pure artist, just trusting. But the other two they do ask questions. They do say at several points, like, wait a minute, this is weird. Wait, it's straining our relationship, letting this other person have creative input and what we should call ourselves or how we should look. They were suspicious about the fact that he hadn't heard their music, but they like don't even really push on it until after they have already been through like a hair and makeup and photography session. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, so the fact that they are from the beginning, even before they met this guy, Jake, yeah, when they had a great show in the bowling alley, right? The Pussycats, <laughs> when they walk outside and, they, you know, they only made five bucks and they don't have all these many fans waiting for them. They actually have some three mean girls outside who make fun of their cat ears, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> they frame their goals for the future and the way that they see their art as like being rich and being famous is the only thing that would mean I'm successful. Yeah. Like the point of what I do is to be 
famous and rich. And therefore, I think if you put yourself in that situation, not put yourself in that situation. Uh, again, I always sound like I'm victim, victim blaming, but what I'm trying to do is give all of us agency, I guess. Right. Uh-huh. So if what you are doing is framing the art that you do, whatever it is, as a way to get rich or get famous, then you are going to be a person who naturally, I think, is going to listen to people who are telling you, here's a proven path to get to those two things. Here's I've, I've done that for X, Y, and Z people that you know who are famous. So listen to me. So that's when you start handing off to them the creative reins over your work and your identity and the shape of the product that you're going to make. And it's all in the name of the the fact that you're chasing those two goals. And that's what they were doing. And what makes them heroes is that by the end, I want to say all three of them, (laughs) but Tara, you know, kind of also, um, is that they realize, oh shit, this is like compromising our art and damaging the world. The, what these, record companies are this record company is doing to our music yeah so i could shut the fuck up and continue to be famous and get all the riches and do all the shit or i can risk it all to get back my friendships with the people in my band and to get back the integrity of my art to do the art that i want to do the way i want to do it and to not put damage out in the world even if it means i don't become rich and famous you get me yeah and that's the fucking problem they're like uh i actually wanted to bring up uh tinder swindler did you bring did you watch that no right i have not seen that i've seen people talking about it i don't know what it is well very briefly and then we can totally go back to josie okay uh it reminds me it connects because it's another thing where i watched it and it was very funny to me because it is something that like we are supposed to feel like certain people in this documentary are victims but I only I think you are only victims because of the way that you framed your purpose in the world and your and the purpose of interactions with people. OK, the premise of this thing is uh, basically there is a guy in Europe who uh, matches up with ladies on Tinder. And then on Tinder, he tells them that he is the the he's Israeli. He's the son of a diamond dealer, dude. Um, and, you know, he travels a lot for business because he works at his dad's diamond company and he'll match with them. And like within the first week, Jake, the love bombing shit, right? The like grand gestures of like, I'll fly to Portugal to meet you in a private jet. He like sends them all sends them like videos of him on the private jet. And whatever, cut to the end. Point is, he was running the same scam, same scam on all of them. Uh-huh. And then event, so like he would show that he had a lot of money by taking them on fancy jet rides and all this shit. And then, some time into it, after talking about moving in together and having kids and all this shit, he would be like, "Oh shit, so, you know, like identity fraud or somebody's trying to get me. Like I need five grand or twenty grand to get out of this, but I'll pay you back, baby, no problem." You know, and then yeah. these women start giving him money (laughs) and then by the end there's some like one he took for like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right and then it turns out that what he was using the money for is like you jake give me fifty thousand dollars because i told you i got into some fucking thing and i gotta get a new passport yeah so you give me the fucking money and then i use that money to go meet another chick in paris (laughs) and a (laughs) private jet who i'm now like pretending that i'm rich because i spent 20 grand on a dinner for her you get me but it was this other chick's 20 grand (laughs) yeah so this is why he's the Tinder swindler, right? Yeah. Oh, man. But from the very beginning, Jake, <laughs> he, uh, the women that they interview, 
yo, they are all straight up. They frame the idea of dating as something where you are interviewing people to fill a role that's predetermined. And then on top of that, that predetermined role is defined as you must be rich and have a certain kind of lifestyle and job. So they're swiping through and matching with people based on whether or not they're like on a yacht and in a private jet and fucking wearing Prada or whatever the fuck. You know what I mean? And then like one of them comments on like, oh, when he told me he was a diamond guy, I was like, oh, my God, another diamond guy. (laughs) And the interviewer is like, what do you mean another diamond guy? And she's like, oh, yeah, I've dated other diamond guys. Bitch, of course you're going to get swindled by some fucking asshole if you like. If flashy shit yeah. it, uh, makes you listen, if flashy behavior towards you and like spending too much money and promising you the world blinds you enough for you not to ask questions about the red flags, that is a you problem. You understand me? No matter how much the person who's trying to fucking swindle you or rip you off or take your fucking intellectual property or rape you, you also need to learn to not be blinded by that shit. Right. Yeah. And so that's like my thing with comics, even who I'm like, why are you with this manager? (laughs) Or like, why are you (laughs) you're letting them take advantage of you because they promised you all of this shit? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. If if you were with a a, a diamond guy who didn't con you. Well, guess what? He was conning somebody else. So you (laughs) fucking eventually this is going to happen. Right. So there is Mm -hmm. like poetic uh justice to that and i think you're right that there is like um quest there's like a a, yeah people do not treat people without agency and as if they're innocent and naive right i'll give you that there's honestly all right let me go on in detour detour but there's a episode this is different than like you're right sorry it is different i'm not saying that like what music recording companies and Spotify have done to like, for example, very young artists who didn't have control. Well, let's get into that. Okay. Yeah, so exactly. Right. There's a, it's yeah. just side notes. This just popped into my head. This is really interesting yeah. because that's a, uh, this is also, I need, I need to read the Tinder swindler thing now because mm-hmm. this is also very similar to a fucking episode of cowboy bebop where there's this character who's been um, unfrozen. She was in an accident when she was younger. She has amnesia and she was in like a cryogenic freezing thing and um she doesn't remember anything and she's when she wakes up she's saddled with like this insane amount of debt and it then becomes a bounty hunter because there's no way to pay off this debt and it's great because it's like everybody can relate to this right we all have student loans and shit but this thing happens where she gets romanced by this guy named whitney haggis matsumoto who's like (laughs) uh this crazy like too good to be true a fucking guy who shows up in her life and is very charming and everything and is doing all this stuff and giving her jewels and stuff and like really nice clothes and then the end of the story arc is she fucking figures out that he was the doctor who froze her and this is part of a scam where you (laughs) unfreeze people and then and by convincing them to buy into you, like, I think the loophole was that he then he had all this debt that he then added to her debt. Like he saddled oh, it shit. onto her or whatever. And it's like the same fucking lesson, which is like, yeah. you know, the, there's like these fucking great underpinning ideas about you know, what type of work you should be doing and stuff and whether it's possible. Everyone's gambling on this show too. Everyone's like always trying to fucking hit it big, getting lottery tickets with their last dollar and stuff like that. And just going like, dear God, I'm not going to fucking, you know, this isn't going to work. We're always going to be poor. How what's the ethical way to be living when you're living like this? Okay. So that's fucking, ah, that's great. Um, but to go back to Josie and the pussycats, I got to take another detour because this is where it gets into they live. Okay. So we got to go back to it. So, but the thing is, 
the the my entire yeah you're right i was reading this and i think largely because i'm not taking this that seriously but like to me the story is that in the beginning these people are kind of innocent and then they're exploited by this record label and yeah. you can which look for at, sure happened they were exploited by that record but you also yeah. could look at it like a fucking yeah. punk like a steve albini and go yeah. well um you maybe shouldn't have like pursued that path to begin with you're gonna <laughs> yeah. come up it's although i asked steve albini about this and yeah. he said that he like absolutely understands why people got like you know of why course. they made yeah, these yeah, deals because yeah. you're young and right and like yeah. no one knows any of this stuff so the, listen yeah. i literally i know enough about music to know the whole what is it the devil making the deal with who's what's his face uh, uh sold his soul yeah in the corner of whatchamacallit and this other street robert jo- <laughs> robert johnson music people. Mm, is, that fuck, is that the guy the guy mm. the musician right he's in fucking people are gonna brother be so mad. Right <laughs> don't email me about this <laughs> Or the fiddle guy from the fucking song by that angry guy. The fucking what is that guy's name? God damn it, his name's escaping me. (laughs) Devil went down to Georgia, and the he was on he was on Twitter. He used to say Benghazi ain't going away and shit like that. I don't know. Fuck it. Okay, but fucking hold on. Come with me though. They live Mm -hmm. right. So the story of they live is like, and I'm sorry if you were a leftist and you're listening to this, and this is like boilerplate intro leftist (laughs) art shit. But like, we need to start by explaining what it is. Uh, Everyone required viewing. Everyone should watch this movie um sci-fi film that's uh basically just this guy walking around he's played by a fucking wrestler this rowdy roddy what's his face or whatever i don't know roddy i'm gonna get all this shit wrong um rowdy roddy yeah he's just sort of walking around in this like you know universe roddy it's very, Piper, i think maybe? i think so but it might not be him yeah so, so <laughs> it doesn't matter but he's just walking around and then you know he's in the world that's kind of similar to our world it's like he's just walking around a busted up city like uh okay so rowdy yeah. roddy Piper, <laughs> and uh and you know, there's advertisements and there's normal city stuff and he's just living the city life. And then he finds this box in this dumpster and in the box, there's a pair of sunglasses. And when he puts the sunglasses on, he starts seeing things through a lens. And it's confusing because when he, when you look at a, a billboard that says like Tinder now with the sunglasses on, it says like procreate, breed, form the nuclear family. And when you look at a one that <laughs> says, you know, McDonald's, it's like fuel yourself yeah, and yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, exploitation and all this stuff. Oh, I see. I see. I see where you're going with this. Okay. Okay. And he's like, suddenly he's like got the glasses on and he's the only person who could see basically the glasses are fucking metaphor for reading, you know, marks or whatever. Yeah. And like now, now you're running around you're going, we were, we were, all in a fugue state and like you need to look through these sunglasses or else we have no power over our destiny and our future and stuff like that and when you think about the world in that way and then he also uh there's some parallels he beats the crap out of somebody to get them to fucking uh put the glasses on and see the truth yeah yeah and then you know and the the truth Uh, is that it's like us oh yeah (laughs) and there's like uh and there's you know the in the the metaphor in they live is that there's this ruling class of like weird alien skeleton people or whatever but like you know that's (laughs) just rich people and it's just the one percent ruling class versus everyone else right so mm-hmm. but in um fucking in Josie and the Pussycats I think there's an argument to be made that the pr- the the Pussycats pre like even engaging with this record executive this manager while they're living in Riverdale which is a dreamlike town in a fictional yeah, place yeah. they're living in the dream that we are all living in when we are devoid of ideology which is not our fucking fault because like they yeah. keep us like this to begin with so like no one from everyone's 
deserving of like being judged for the choices of their actions, but also everyone should also probably be able to relate to this because you don't start totally. off knowing the fucking truth and you have to figure it out by grappling with it like this. So when she starts well, to figure out... that's why it's an out, awesome movie. Yeah. But, yeah. but the reason it's an awesome movie is more because it's like uh, something, it's a vehicle aimed at younger people at that time, you yeah. know, that although you're right, you know, like, you know, I guess I'm saying like, oh my God, it's not critical enough, but it's a fucking, it's not meant to be a critical movie. It's meant to be funny. Yeah. But so what I'm saying is like, it's good. It's a very good movie. And I was really happy you made me rewatch it because <laughs> what it actually does is introduce the idea to young people, A, that these, rec like whoever the gatekeeper is and in whatever industry you are or hope to be in, you are in or hope to be in, they don't all, in fact, most do not have your best interest in mind. They are going to have ulterior motives, even if the, it's the very basic motive of making money off of your work. And it introduces the idea that you have a choice, kind of, you know, and like, sure, all the examples are examples where they were roped in for a while first by all the glamorous, beautiful thing, you know, um, Fucking, what's that stupid movie? Uh, I guess it got a lot of awards. The one about the climate change shit. Oh, uh, don't look movie. up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, Jaya, you know Jaya? You follow her, right? Cinderesh? Yeah. Yeah, her. So, Jaya tweeted something where she was like, oh, this is like an under mentioned point. And it's actually something that my lover, I'll give him a shout out, he pointed <laughs> out to me <laughs> as uh, something that he thought was an interesting aspect of this movie. And the more I think about it, and Jaya pointed out, I think it's maybe the most interesting aspect of this movie, which is that, uh, you know, we criticize like the fact that like the media and the politicians and all, everyone like didn't care to listen to the scientists. And oh, the white guy scientist, he got he took credit for everything that the woman did. And like we all got hung up on all these other things. But something that was very new that I don't think we see elsewhere is the fact that they depicted how easily it is to corrupt the so-called objective person, the totally, scientist, yeah. by offering them this gleam gleaming, shiny, like you could be famous, you could have the hot women wanting you, you could have fucking hair and makeup. Yeah, and my money, favorite one of my cars. favorite things in that movie is that he eventually yeah. at one point he's just hunched over a computer and he's angry, he's arguing with people on Facebook, yeah. which is like everyone can fucking relate to that, right? Yeah, but you exactly. should know that scientists are also doing that and doctors and all these people we yeah. put in positions of authority in our minds or whatever. That movie I think is I was thinking about it a lot while I was watching this because I got yeah. people got really people get mad at me every time I talk about a movie on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. But one of the things that people got mad at me over was talking about that movie and going, I think I have a really similar case to be made here, which is that this is not high art, but people yeah. overlook the medium of comedy when it's stupid and when it's not as fucking artsy as succession. And it is yeah. couching a pretty fun and interesting critique in totally. fucking jokes, man. This is what comedy yeah. actually looks like. It's not it's always to do. Yeah. Dr. Strangelove or whatever, you know, yeah. it's, 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 it's a mid sometimes, but it's fucking fun. Yeah. Um, so the, th the climax of this film though, is that, you know, after they reach a point third act where they have a choice to make, which is in traditional fucking pop movie storytelling, the kind of the only time that this 
question of agency comes up, are they going to mm-hmm. do the right thing or are they going to do the wrong thing? They kind of figure out that this is, you know, that, that what's going on is that their intellectual, their art is being treated uh, in the way that intellectual property gets treated and it's getting abused. Yeah. And uh, what's interesting is their, their music is never really that bad in the movie, which I thought would have made yeah. it a more compelling movie. But, um, but you know, th- this thing that they want to do is being um, used to sell products and that they're not actually, it's not actually be- maybe being um, propelled on its own merit and stuff like that, but they do bust the fucking record label lady. And then the concert yeah. is still happening and they're supposed to go out and play it. Meanwhile, they've smashed the machine that's been sort of sending the subliminal messages and yeah. thus, you know, cause it's also sending subliminal messages that say this music is good. It's not yeah, just so selling products. It. Yeah, yeah. So it's the question is, Oh, did all like the glitz and glamor of doing like a studio session with like Phil Spector or something like that, mm-hmm. or that fucking Max, what's his face guy that made all the pop music from the aughts. Yeah. Is that, you know, like, does that, would my music have no merit without all that stuff? Like, am I merely yeah. a fucking vessel, you know, for these people to exploit? And so the, I think I really liked about the movie is the last thing that happens is they go out on the stage. They're like, okay, no one knows what just happened and that we destroyed yeah. the machine that makes our music super palatable, that also sells stuff and that we arrested the fucking people that, you know, yeah. are on the record label and stuff. And they're all nervous because they're like, oh, we have to actually perform like for the mm-hmm. first time as ourselves. Yeah. And these people might not like it. And then she's got this love song that she wrote for the fucking dumb guy in the love story yeah, yeah. or whatever and she starts playing it and at first people are like huh well, this isn't Weird. my fucking you know fast yeah. food saccharin product that yeah. I consume like you know like pop art like bullshit or whatever mm. and then through the power of art you know she fucking they just play and then everyone's like oh wait this is actually pretty cool and so yeah. the ba- it's the first time in the movie that the band is the same band that they were at the beginning of the film when yeah. they were just living the way like people I would argue would live this is why I like that they're called the pussycats because it's like yeah. they're animals they're kind of living in primitive communism like before yeah. all this stuff happens and there's an argument to be made this is a big like anarchist thing Dave Graber David Graber talks about and stuff yeah. uh, in his book Bullshit Jobs like you know why people we have enough resources. People should just be able to play music and shit. It, yeah. Even if it doesn't contribute anything or whatever. Some yeah. people, this is what just what they want to do. And like, th- we all could just be kind of hanging out like this. And whenever I hang out in spaces that are heavily anarchistically driven, that are just like about like politics in the here and now and stuff like that, I feel like that the show at the end of this movie where they're like, Okay, for a brief moment, having thrown off all the social dynamics that, like, formed the art into a certain type of art, we're just going to make our art. And then, because yeah. the, it's a fucking movie, the, the very positive ending is like, everyone connects. Because this is what we, this is why they were selling the art to begin with, is because there is a quality of it that isn't a lie, you know? Um, yeah. But that, then they also remember that they end on being like... Like the final joke is like uh, some government guy, I think, or like a cop. I don't know. It's like, yeah, of course we want to take it down. Like also we figured out that these subliminal messages work better in movies. Uh, And then (laughs) they all break the fourth wall and like look at directly at the camera. And then there's like a brief thing. Words flash on the screen. And one of the phrases is join the army. Yeah. (laughs) So they end it in a good comedic fashion of like making fun of themselves, but also acknowledging that there is no art form that cannot be co-opted in order to 
message you with some shit. And that's why the whole point is you're supposed to be critically taking in art, not ever just like swallowing Joe Rogan's fucking bullshit and regurgitating it when somebody asks you your opinion. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to be like critically dissecting what you can believe and not believe from certain things and like do your own reading and yeah I, know, I guess I'm, well this is why i'm like this is a white man movie because the thing is this, yeah. this isn't really there's no way for this movie to have like a good ending and the, the people yeah. had the same problem with don't look up but what i would say with both of these things is that the ending isn't the point like the jokes about the fucking world that we kind of live yeah. in are the point and like a movie isn't always an essay with a fucking thesis and a thing at the yeah. end that blows your mind and suggests a third thing especially comedy because comedy is just you know, it's for blowing off steam and stuff. It's not every piece of comedy is art on that fucking yes. level, you know? Ooh, but can I tell you something? It, you know, I totally agree with you, but I just had the experience this week. I'm not going to name the show. I'll tell you off. <laughs> but uh, this movie was kind of a palate cleanser and a reminder of the fact that comedy can be real stupid and real funny and then still manage to have a criticism of society of our political world of our fucking western point of view of our views of gender whatever they, to still have something to say while still doing the good job of making you laugh and being silly and all that shit right and i feel like that movie this movie is one of those white chicks is one of those you know there's like lots of really silly movies that are like that and yet i watched a show this week that uh, is written by some comedy people we know. It features a lot of comedians. And it is considered... I mean, I watched it because people were like, oh my god, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it is neither that funny. It's not that funny, and it doesn't really have anything to say about society at all, period. It has no important anything to say about anything, Jake. It is a, like, escapist. And you know my stance on absurdist art, where it's just like... It must be so nice to be a rich kid that goes to NYU and has nothing to think about except like, I got to send another clip to my publicist by the end of the week, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so to me, this show was that. And it is something that I think people would put in a category. Oh, you know what else is like that? That fucking show with Jason Schwartzman being a detective. You remember that? Jason Schwartzman from Seinfeld? No. Oh, no, no I was thinking of Jason Alexander. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's oh. Jason Alexander. Schwartzman is the short. He's in like... Uh, Rushmore, right? Rushmore, exactly. That guy. Where is he a detective? And, I don't know that show. Uh, it's like a terrible HBO series where he's like... A, it's like a noir thing that's supposed to be funny. And it's fucking not funny. It's just like highly stylized and it's not clever. It's not anything. Yeah. But people fucking tripped over their dicks to be like, oh, my God, it's so fucking great. Because I think they just like put it in this category of like, look, we're being artsy and it's just like art for the sake of art. Yeah, I guess but, like, band is like that too. It also, what is? his band is like that too. Yeah. Phantom exactly. Planet, that he's been at California, that song. Yeah. But apparently they're so, dickheads, like in the music world. That makes sense. And I guess I just like hate the idea that people think like being, having any kind of point of view in comedy will automatically make the comedy bad. When I actually think that a lot of comedy that claims to have no point of view and or actually has no point of view is bad. Like, I don't care how much you stylize it or how many guest fucking cameo people you have in it. Yeah. I don't care about this. It has nothing, no effect on my life whatsoever. 
it literally is that thing I put on in the background while I do something else. Yeah, you know? I, I can <laughs> see that. And I, I mean, I agree, but I also don't think that Don't Look Up and Josie and the Pussycats aren't about anything. I just think that the ending isn't about anything. I think the middle of the movie. Oh, no, like, I think that the ending in both cases is what comedy has to do, which is like, okay, as a stand-up, you know, a good set is not when you leave with the whole room hating you. Yeah. Right? You, no matter what you said in the middle... Your job is to wrap it up in a way where they love it and they want to see you again and maybe want you to talk more and they want to talk to you after. Yeah. You know? Also, you can end on a joke and not a fucking sermon. I don't know why that became such a thing. Totally. But so <laughs> Josie and the Pussycats ends on a joke. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Actually, if you watch so, all the way yeah. to the end of the credits, it ends on a fucking joke, which is yeah. uh, the, the in the in the the evil uh, brainwash studio where they're like you know yeah. this is going to be the next big color and this is going to be the next big shoe or whatever yeah. <laughs> there's a couple of the uh, companies that they use as jokes of like we're going to make them buy this brand jeans or whatever like in the yeah. special thanks in the credits and then there's also someone saying um instead of cool uh, or like awesome or tight or whatever yeah. the new word's going to be jerkin and then somebody's like oh, that, that's yeah. nah, that's sexual all right that's yeah dirty yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then at the end of the movie the like you know, like the last song plays and then somebody in the studio of like the song playing goes like that was jerkin <laughs> it was <laughs> really funny, funny. <laughs> yeah so see they like they understand the idea of a callback <laughs> yeah they like they're making a comedy i feel like Maybe, um, to me, you're right. I agree that uh, Don't Look Up fell flat in its ending. Yeah. Because it did the thing of like, being like, oh, we're all going to die anyway. So humanize it and like, oh, let's fucking put a little bow on it. Like, maybe dying's not so bad. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, instead of just like, it could have ended on a joke and blackout. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, it did end on a joke. I liked that it was that was the serious part. Yeah. And then the what end, was the joke at the end? The end end was that they the rich people got to the fucking other. Oh planet. right, and got eaten by the animals. Yeah. Right. Yes, <laughs> by the thing that we named. Yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, that was funny, actually. <laughs> yes. Now I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that end end. Yeah, and it was also like I'm not also Jesus Christ. I've been I've Twitter brain this week because I just I've been really busy and, and so I'm like arguing with people over shit that I shouldn't. But like yeah. also I don't think it was the best. I don't think these are the best movies in the world. <laughs> I'm just saying that they, no, I like them for what they are. Yeah. Uh, I got into a big thing this week about Euphoria. Can I tell you about that, or do you have anything else you want to talk about with Josie and the Pussycats? Um, let's talk about Euphoria. But the only thing was, uh, I guess, to go back to Spotify. But no, let's talk about Euphoria. More interesting. Go back. Okay. Um. Okay, so the last, the, I, I'm glad that we did our episode about Euphoria right before, before <laughs> this last, last episode, episode yeah. because yeah. Um, I think that was like the culmination of it's. It's possible that this was the culmination. That was the peak of the show. Um, yeah, because that's the Emmy submission episode, is what everybody's calling it. Well, I yeah, I kind of I have a theory, and I'm okay. might be wrong, and also might be it's impossible to know really. Yeah. Uh, what the intentions are of a of a fucking story at any given point, but this is an episode that I both loved and was thrilled by, and also kind of think might be where it turns into copaganda. So, the last okay. thing that happens on Euphoria spoilers, if you're not caught up, is that uh, we have this episode where Rue, the main character, who's a fucking mm -hmm. addict, 
all of a sudden is going through all their withdrawals and stuff. And like the episode is kind of a weird bottle episode sort of thing where the entire thing is her running and then uh, running away from going to rehab and stuff. And she fucking robs yeah. somebody. And then she yada, 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 goes through all these crazy events. And then she ends up, and this is insane to me, by the way, yeah. because I know this person. Martha. I know the actress. <laughs> yeah. She goes back to the drug dealers played by Martha Kelly, who is, I cannot yeah. stress this enough, the sweetest fucking lady i've done a million stand-up shows with her and it's so bizarre to watch her (laughs) in this show and she's killing it so good in that like in that weird way when someone isn't acting so you like your brain just fills in the places around them everyone in brooklyn right now is terrified of her and i'm like this is my friend martha this is so funny (laughs) so she goes to martha because she's fucking or in the story she's called glory or something glory because she's fiending and she's like i don't know what else to do i ran away from my parents i ran away from everybody but i I just need some fucking pills and she's like well i don't have any pills and she's like um well you know you could fix you know i could shoot you up or whatever she's never shot up before and shooting up for the first time is like kind of when as a drug user you're like it's all i'm never going going back from here yeah and there is great dialogue about it and stuff and then yada 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 and she you know takes a bath and then she wakes up after shooting up morphine and she's um, and there, Martha Kelly's character had at one point hinted earlier, like she kind of joked when she gave these uh, this these drugs to Rue. It wasn't a joke. Yeah, it's hard to tell. (laughs) She said very flatly, like, if you don't pay me back, I'll sell you into sexual slavery or whatever, human trafficking. And um, so then she, this all happens. She can't pay her back because her mom flushed all the drugs down the toilet and she's freaking out. She shoots up morphine, takes a bath, wakes up and she's in a room and there's like a lock on the window and a lock on the door and she's, it's heavily implied yeah, she was serious when she said she was going to sell you into human trafficking because she says stuff like, well, you know, you've always got a, something people want because you're a girl and stuff. And um, and then she uh, fucking escapes from the the place and it's like terrifying. It's great. You know, yeah. it's a really compelling story. Um, but I was watching this in the middle of the night and I was tweeting my thoughts about it, which is illegal, you know, and, she's, <laughs> and I said, I wonder if this is going to turn into swerf propaganda because uh, and I probably should have used the word copaganda, but it's a tweet, you know, mm-hmm. um, but the point I was making was that, um, OK, so that they're going to aggrandize the whole human trafficking of children. Thing. Yeah. And it's there's a very important yeah. point to be made here. It's not, it's, I'm, no one's saying that doesn't exist, but right, something exactly. I Figured out. I was about to be like, by aggrandize, I don't mean that it's not a problem. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. sorry. It's a real thing, but something that's really (laughs) interesting that if you're interested in propaganda and culture and stuff like that to look into is that so there's all these far right wing organizations that are like very much uh, anti contraception, anti abortion, anti sex work, because obviously gonna go along with all that stuff um but they're very anti-woman and they're also uh usually white supremacist linked and very like um pro border security and so narratives about scary seedy underworlds of human trafficking are very popular with far-right christian organizations there's this organization called exodus cry that makes all these fucking documentaries something that happens a lot it's like on on netflix you'll see documentaries that are helmed by like um rashida jones she's like a useful idiot for these people celebrities that don't know what the fuck they're doing they think that they're helping will get attached to stuff and it'll be like you know documentaries about human trafficking and what you don't realize is that a lot of their funding is linked to far-right uh 
gr- uh, think tanks and stuff like that and groups that lobby for like passage of laws that outlaw sex work and also that beef up the whole fucking homeland security apparatus and the, the police state and all this stuff because their agenda isn't actually helping human trafficking. That's the thing. I also am against human trafficking, but what I figured out is that propaganda isn't even about solving that. It's just about using the enticing, scary nature of it to then fund the fucking cops, right? And that's why it's so fucking evil. And yeah. I worry about this because I haven't done that much research into this, but Euphoria, the original Euphoria is uh, was aired in Israel. And uh, if it was a product of the culture or the state at all, the thing is, Israel is both linked to far right, uh, you know, evangelicals because they have that whole connection to Israel where they like, it's part of the fucking doomsday shit for them. Um, And also they want Jews to go back over there and not be here and stuff like that. And also border stuff because Israel thinks that what it's doing with Palestine is enforcing a border. So it's really useful for them to have these narratives about human trafficking because that helps make people scared of the brown people on the other side of the border that are just trying to get across the border to survive. And that's how it all fucking fits together. And I'm worried that what we saw was the American version of that story because it's it's based on the same fucking story and I don't know, I haven't watched the other one, then uh, that might be where this is going. And here's thing though this is what's fucked up about propaganda still might be an excellent show <laughs> because you know <laughs> all my favorite shows are propaganda right i mean if, um, uh, i would say to you uh i had not even considered that it was specifically going into that of the human trafficking like scare tactic and all it and all it means and entails uh, but I think that maybe you are onto something because of the fact that the whole entire show is propaganda. Right. The entire show is actually a dare for millennials. I would <laughs> dare call it even a millennial horror. All right. Yeah. Because Jake, uh, like literally you have never seen a single character of euphoria have fun on drugs safely and then go home and get a good SAT score. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. Not one of them. Like, not one of them is capable of having an honest friendship, of, like, talking to their parent about what they're going through, about, like, tripping and then fucking going to class. (laughs) Not one of them is in control in any way. They They are either, I don't do any drugs ever, and therefore I'm, like, so like sublimating all of my rage and other feelings of inadequacy and anxiousness as a teenager through these other things like writing a play or fucking the people I shouldn't be fucking like whatever or you're a straight up fucking drug addict that is like ruining <laughs> your life and the life of everyone around you Ruin straight up ruin people's like barbecues pool parties birthday parties <laughs> like she ran through that neighborhood destroying everyone's life in the most extreme version of what it means to do drugs okay yeah because not only is it very unlikely that anybody would become by like what she's supposed to be 16 by 16 years old what rue is is a very low probability right yeah not to mention like or like maybe you would by the time you're like 30 or 20 in your mid-20s after living that kind of lifestyle but to get to the point of being as destructive as rue like Dude, it's some extreme shit for you to be a 16-year-old who's like by getting like a $10,000 fronted amount of pills to sell for a crazy ass scary lady. So here's what I'm saying. When I watched the show before and I was like, or when I talked about it before and I was saying like, I think it's awesome and you're a nerd if you don't get it. What I really mean is like, 
I don't mean, oh my God, this is glorifying anything about drug use. No, I actually think this is leaving out the whole very real side of using drugs responsibly, having great experiences on drugs, not failing in your responsibilities because you tried drugs a few times, not being a piece of shit person because you do some kind of drug every day. You know, that just doesn't exist in this world. But the there's also like it's meant i think to be this like scary story that yeah. is written by millennials for millennials about the horrors of what could happen to you or dun, 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 soon your kids yeah huh? yeah yeah so it is like even worse than like the possible upcoming swerve shit i want to suggest that it why it would be likely to come is that they have already laid the groundwork for like why you should be fleeing to the suburbs. Because if you, if this is happening to some bad families in the suburbs where they lost a parent and like shit like that, then you can't possibly expect to do better in a city. So like better move away and make sure you're in a good neighborhood surrounded by kids who have complete quote families, (laughs) you know, and that are like, It serves to reinforce the, like, don't fuck up the nuclear family fucking shit and don't have your kid be around, like, wise, cracking, world-savvy city kids because they're going to teach your kid bad shit. Like, it's really bad. So the reason that I like it is because growing up, I, I wasn't these kids. I knew these kids. I had access to these kids. And in most often, uh, in most cases, they were the up, upper middle class, richer kids who were the ones who were like left home alone with like a bunch of drugs and all the medicine cabinets and like liquor fucking bars, like bars full of liquor yeah. and no parents there. And they would have parties and they would have, uh, you know, like I, I went to uh, these pill parties where everybody just brings whatever drugs they could take from their parents' house. Yeah, it's not the poor kids bringing free drugs. No, Jake. no, no. no. I was, we talked about this. Yeah. I was the same way. I, lived, I did not live in the suburbs, but I would go hang out, and yeah, you were like, "This exactly. is way darker than like yeah. what's hanging out, what's happening back in the old neighborhood where we're just drinking forties and shit." Exactly. So what I'm saying is that I like it because it it is um, depicting something that I know is real, right? Yeah. It's, kids having this kind of access and this, these kind of dark feelings and these desires to like disappear or to numb themselves through drug use or to get approval from their friend group. I knew these like kids like this, and I think it's good to represent this, but this show is absolutely copaganda. It is absolutely dare by and for millennials who are like terrified of the world. Yeah. That's why I'm like, I, it's weird because it's, so popular and i really enjoy it but i do not enjoy it in its intended way and that's why exactly. i think the like the, the the break that the plot is making right now is going to force like sort of a decision to happen with people where they're like do you actually agree with what the show is saying or are you just along for the fucking ride because i'm like watching it and i'm kind of like 
I understand this show is trying to scare me and tell me. It's, it's one of those things yeah. where it's like, it, it, you know when conservative people try to scare you with like a meme and you're like, I agree with everything this person yeah. is saying, like in the chick tract or whatever, where they're like, oh no, Satan approached me and I'm listening to rock and roll music. And you're like, that sounds fucking awesome. That's <laughs> the way I'm consuming this show, which is not its intended purpose, but is fucking fun. So I don't know what to do with that because I think that they, they don't really care because that there's there's just selling it and we're buying it so they don't really care that's yeah. the way it's it's uh being consumed but I do think that it's not going to end well for that fucking reason yeah and I'm also confused as to why conservative people don't like it because I think they don't understand that it agrees with them about you know why because I, I don't think they're even watching it number one and yeah. so the reason is okay the reason is that Zendaya the actress is glorified as being fancy. She just got like an award, I think like the youngest ever fashion icon of some shit or other. I don't even know. Yeah. And so like she is separately glamorized. She's on the cover of magazines. She's talked about as being extremely beautiful. All the designers work on shit for her. So people can't separate the idea of like this glamorous actress is in this show. But like, if you watch it, She's literally strung out half of the show. She looks like complete shit. She's dressed like Johnny Knoxville in 2002. Yeah. She fucking does not look glamorous. Nobody is watching this show thinking, hell yeah, I would love to be rude. <laughs> I mean, like, <Right. laughs> nobody. So it is not glamorizing drug use, but it is in the minds of people who don't watch it a glamorous person taking up behaviors that shouldn't be glamorized, but it's like, you're not watching it and seeing that it's not being glamorized. Here's what's fucking crazy about yeah. this exact thing about this show is that it is it directly relates to what I was talking about earlier with Jimmy Fallon sanitizing those fucking robot dogs because they're going to yeah. use those at the border, and this is shit to scare white people into thinking that we need to secure the border away them, from yeah. human traffickers to come take your fucking kids and shit like that. Yeah. And it also relates to what's going on with Dave Chappelle and his stupid fucking suburban totally. neighborhood <laughs> because he's, I don't know if, you know if you saw or if you're listening and you haven't seen, it, yeah. it seems like it's going viral right now or whatever, but he's a fucking NIMBY and he lives in that neighborhood in Ohio and he, somebody taped him basically uh, threatening to pull all of his professional uh, assets or whatever, all his like business interests out of this neighborhood if they don't repeal a law that was going to make it more affordable to live there. So basically... He, he's th trying he to straight up said $65 million. So he said that he would remove the 16, $65 million he invests in his city if they approve low-income housing in the area. Yeah. How, how fucked up is that? That like, just like a few weeks ago, he was talking about, you know, or like in his last special, the, the idea that like, you know, because he's a black man that he can never be punching up. And it's like, dude, or sorry, be punching down, down yeah. you know? I can't hear you. Are you muted? No, no, go ahead. And, oh, okay. And here he is, like, quite literally using all of his power as a rich man and influence as a famous person. 
and skill as a comedian because although he wasn't that funny he did walk up and like have command of a room and like act like he owns it and he was doing the come exact from same being both cadence. a comedian and a rich man yeah so, it was, it was yeah. the exact same cadence he's using on stage now which yeah. is also says something about how far he's gotten away from telling fucking jokes yeah. when he's on stage exactly both of these things are just him giving me a speech but um this also mm-hmm. tells you everything you need to know about the fact that he supported andrew fucking yang in yeah, the presidential dude. election because that ubi thing if it doesn't come with socialism, essentially, also, it is just rich people going, I gave you $1,000, now fuck off. Now fuck it's off, It's yeah. too, too expensive to move into my neighborhood. I don't yeah. know. Go live somewhere else. You have $1,000. You can't fucking complain. So, yeah. you know, fuck off, right? Um, I don't know. I think that's my rhizome. I think that's. I think all these things are connected. <laughs> I do. I do, too. Because, um, honestly, Dave Chappelle is, like, if he had been Josie and he had been like Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle is Josie. If Josie had been like, yeah, fuck Mel and Val. I don't need them. I'm going to continue to be famous. Oh, are they selling shit through my shit? That's cool. I don't care. I still get a new plane. Right. Great. Right. That's David Chappelle right now. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, if she'd made the yeah, other decision like, and been like, well, this yeah. is actually, cause this is like, I mean, this is actually because how the, you know, let's connect it to the other thing. Cause he has, they live glasses. Right. He has proven to us in the past that he has they live glasses and has the ability to criticize and see through society's narratives. So that means that he's now in the stage of life where he straight up took them off. Yo, he's the steak guy in the Matrix who's just being like, I know the steaks are <laughs> yeah, real. Yeah, yeah. But it's fucking delicious. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, fuck poor people, just let me get my fake steak. All right. <laughs> like yeah, he's a he sucks, dude. It, he's he's a steak it, guy, but he's in denial because even the steak guy was like, just like, yeah. fuck it, I'm doing it, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. What people like Dave Chappelle have to do is convince themselves, like, no, this is actually like anti-racist and stuff. The fact yeah. that I'm doing it, it's actually like justice and cool, and that you can only yeah. think that if you live with a profound cynicism about nothing ever getting better for anyone else. So you know, yeah. it's just you, and that's still like good and like yeah. altruistic it's fucking dark Ugh. well i guess let me end very quickly with a, a quick uh call back to the spotify thing that um you know i told you i was going to be the bad person and the bad guy in this episode <laughs> um so um you know i don't hate music obviously there's a lot of music i love but i'm like the kind of fucking weirdo that i like like one album at a time and i'll listen to it for weeks <laughs> you know and like yeah i don't know what to tell you and i have maybe like 10 top favorite artists that i listen to all the time and then once in a while some new thing pops into my rotation <laughs> you know like it's just i'm just not the dedicated you know music digger in the crates to find all the fucking you know yeah. I'm not. So here is my problem. Speaking for the people like me who are not like you music nerd gatekeepers. Um, <laughs> the reality is that like uh, before something like Spotify, you know, remember that I was also the LimeWire person who got sued by Metallica. Right. So I have always been looking for this. Like, how do I get a few songs? How do I get a taste of this person or this band? Because I don't know enough to go buy a whole CD or a record, God forbid, <laughs> of like a whole thing of an artist if I don't know them already. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so before this all existed, I was the loser who like, uh, you know, in Miami driving around, 
I listened to the radio. I had like three favorite radio stations and that, you know, from listening to that, I'd be like, okay, I like these two songs from this band. Maybe I'll buy a CD for that. And so I had maybe like fucking 30 CDs, Jake. Like it was like not a lot. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I just listened to, and then I would be like, well, how do I get it online? So Spotify is honestly fucking awesome to me. It is awesome. Like, oh, I hate to fucking recommend it. And so nobody say that I said nice things about Spotify. But for a dummy like me, when it comes to music, it's so good because I can be like, oh, I like this one fucking band. And then Spotify is like, here's songs that sound like this. (laughs) And then here's people from the same period. Oh, like literally Spotify is like, seems like you like rock from 1994. (laughs) And I'm like, great, fantastic. Turns out 1994 is my year. I had no idea. And then it'll like suggest to you podcasts even that are like about when this record got made and blah, blah. You know, so like I end up learning about music because of this dumb fucking thing that I'm paying $10 for for them to not pay artists. So my problem is like, I totally agree. They should be paying artists much more than they're currently paying them. I don't know. You know, I saw somebody tweet about the fact that there is actually no ethical way to have access to the entire library of music in the world. Right. And that to me is like the point end of situation, right? (laughs) Like there's no, there is no way and we all need to stop wanting that. So then what that means is, okay, I'm going to get off Spotify, but if I get off Spotify, it means I'm going to be listening to the same 12 CDs that I have or whatever, (laughs) or like whatever I have downloaded because Apple Music, all these other ones are not good. I'm not going to go out and like buy whole albums or however you do that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, of like new artist stuff or even like, I don't know, let's say I like The Weeknd. Spotify used to tell me The Weeknd has a new album out. <laughs> and yeah. then I could be like, cool, I'll listen to it. <laughs> and now I won't have that. And I also don't drive in a car, so I don't have radio telling me, which radio is also problematic because it's like sponsored through like, like plays get pay- picked up depending on who your um, record company is and the deals they have with those stations and then their fucking um, advertisers and all that shit. So it all is, they're all systems in which somebody else is making money off of musicians. And I can quit Spotify, but that just means I'm never going to ever be exposed to musicians' new stuff again. <laughs> I have an answer to this. Um, okay. <laughs> so... There's two things about this. One of them mm-hmm. is, uh, I think that the, and this isn't being talked about enough. This isn't being yeah. framed this way, but there's an important thing to understand about right now what is happening with the artists sort of like, uh, you know, boycott or strike or however you want to phrase this yeah. uh, with Spotify, which is that. So this is a big thing with like liberals, I think, which is uh, they sort of conceive of the world as like um, all of your agency is in your personal choices that you make and the things that you buy and don't buy. So like whenever I'm talking to libs about Amazon, I often will get into this thing where people will say like, Oh, I don't, uh, I boycott Amazon or whatever. And I'll go, you don't boycott Amazon. You don't shop at Amazon. Those are two different things because a boycott is a thing that's called by the workers to organize everyone who has to use the service of Amazon to all opt out at the same time in order to scare Amazon and send a message to it. Right. And then here's the important part. You'd go back and shop there again afterwards. Like, because the thing is, you know, you can't have to positively reinforce their change of policy. Well, also it's, it's structurally impossible for everyone not to use something like Amazon. And if you don't use it great, but that's usually a privilege. Usually you, you have to have enough money to not use something like that. Like for poor people have to, eat fast food because it's the only fucking thing around right you can't be 
a consumer and do activism to that degree, right? You can't change things structurally like that. There's so there's also no such thing as boycotting Amazon. Amazon hosts like eighty percent of the internet. You don't even know you're so, using it when you use it, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so if you're using the internet in America, you're more than likely using Amazon servers. So I agree with everything you just said about Am- yeah. uh, Spotify, and I love using yeah. Spotify. I'm a person when it comes to tech where I'm like, uh, the problem is it with it is not it's not good. It's that it's, uh, we should own it. It should be nationalized. But yeah, let me, that me, it robs artists and that it steals our data. Yeah, yeah. Let me give my whole spiel letter. It's kind of a chunk. Mm-hmm. So uh, the problem there being, uh, right, all that stuff. So with Spotify, I think what's important to understand, and not to say too loud, because you don't want Spotify to hear it, though, is that what's happening right now is that the best we're probably going to do is create a PR nightmare for them and create a wave of people who as in solidarity in this moment choose to ditch Amazon who will probably sign back up later because it's not going to go anywhere and it is like a utility almost in the music world like you have to fucking use it but you don't want them to know that and you also want to make sure we all do it at the same time because that shows solidarity with the people who are taking risks to their own careers right now like uh, you know Neil Young even though he just went to Amazon it's the same thing or whatever but like that's the point and the point max from eve six said uh we're probably not gonna do anything we would probably already give them a really bad quarter and that does something but the point actually the way to look at this i'm gonna go back to the the albini model the thing he was talking about where these these ebbs and flows every time a uh a new way to break the scarcity model of intellectual property presents itself how they then rearrange after it is that this is not The end of this story probably isn't that consumers have any control over, like, the streaming services. Even throwing a dent into Spotify, it's like, Tidal's not that much fucking better. Apple's not that much better. What is uh, What we have to hold out for (laughs) is that eventually, if history is something that we can look at that, you know, is trackable and scientific, what's probably going to happen is there's going to be a technological innovation that breaks the stranglehold that they have over streaming music because it's really like you're right all those things that they have the advantages you got out of spotify are just coming from the fact that they have this massive library and they have like data analytics and stuff like that but this is all stuff that in the tech world can be like uh patent free and stuff like that and and you uh what's open source and shit like that so someone is that's probably what's going to happen that's what albini said he doesn't know how and i don't know how and like no one knows how but that's the. it seems like a rhizome has to happen also or like it's a multi-change thing like not just like you know the the app becoming open source meaning like the features become accessible to be made by different services is one thing but also artists moving forward taking more control of how they negotiate their their deals so that they benefit from platforms like that after they've, they've produced music and also um recording companies figuring out a way to include that in their system without being predatory or I don't know, whatever it has to be. So like it has to be a lot has to change. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's impossible to see how the future is going to happen until it happens and it might take a really long time, but I think that's the logical next step, which is why I wouldn't, I hate to say this because I kind of agree with you. I don't want to say it too loud. I think everyone should stick it to Spotify right now. But if yeah. you're like worried about never using Spotify again, I, you shouldn't worry about it because I think in six months that you probably like everyone, everyone has to use it. Like there's nothing you can yeah. do about it, you know, but the important thing is to just understand this and then be yeah. anti Spotify and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I could use 
I literally, before I had Spotify, I used Pandora without paying for it. So I listen to commercials and shit all the time. But do they pay artists? I don't. I mean, there, there's analytics not, flying right? around and shit yeah. right now, but like none of them pay well. I've heard it. Yeah. Pandora pays like actually. I uh, heard Bandcamp is what pays. Uh, yeah, Bandcamp is like the best yeah. one for artists, but it's also it doesn't have all the stuff you're talking about. It's like Features, you have to buy yeah. individual albums and stuff like that. And... I have to have knowledge, and I don't have it. <laughs> I need it. I need my algorithm to tell me what I like. I think Albini was very much angry yeah. at like he his point of view was like, well, fuck people that don't engage with music this way because they don't. I agree. They don't like music, so fuck. I agree. But so, I mean, yeah. also artists for everyone, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, totally, exactly. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. I do. Okay. Yes. So my problem is that uh, there's a to to make a parallel. There is a lot wrong with museums in terms of uh, who they steal from, who they misrepresent, the bad ideas that they carry. But the vast majority in most places are free to everyone. Right. So that you don't actually have to have any level of knowledge other than have the time to go and look at a painting and think about it, whatever you want. And you might like that artist and go read a book about them and learn more, or you might never fucking think about that painting ever again. And there is something to be said for the fact that like, if you are making an art, (laughs) you would want all kinds of people to see it. It's only capitalism that makes you think that only the people that can pay for it should see it. And, uh, you know, I can't deny that we live in capitalism and it's not fair that you don't get paid for your work. But it also doesn't mean that people who are poor, like I literally wrote down (laughs) here in my notebook, ethical question, is it ethical to withhold your art from people who don't have the money to pay for it? (sighs) I don't know. I mean, maybe. I mean, it is under capitalism, right? It's your work. It's your labor. And uh, yeah, you have a right to say you can't look at my painting and you can't hear my comedy if you don't want to pay this amount. In fact, there are comedians who say that very publicly, right? Yeah. Um, But I don't know. I think we have to figure out why and how those two contradict each other and how to make it work. I mean, I think about that sort of stuff a lot. And that's why, uh, to me, I think uh, you can do that, but that then you can feel the dynamics of being a capitalist artist start to shrink around you as soon as you start thinking like that, which is why you should probably just not do that if you actually like art. But I mean, then the other thing is you don't get to use the fancy fucking studio when you don't engage with art and capitalism and you don't get to be on comedy central and stuff like that. So like uh, the whole situation is bad and like the the desire to use a compass and try to navigate it and find a way to do it is kind of a false uh, pretense, I think, because like, yeah, it has to be like a situation by situation. Every time you're being tested, it's the devil in the corner every time asking you if you want to sell your soul this every is all, day, yeah, <laughs> yeah. multiple times a day. <laughs> this is also like a lot of times I have people that like, yeah. like uh, me from Twitter and like PDA and stuff yeah. and they come to see me and they're like, oh, I thought you were going to talk about communism on your act and I'm like, no 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 i do my act about things that i find funny and stuff yeah. all of the yelling about communism is because i'm trying to make the world a better place because that would increase my ability to make jokes about the subway and shit <laughs> which is entirely like on the other end of this fucking uh line of you know events or whatever and mm. the only way to solve these contradictions is not within the world 
of your specific art form. It's within like who the things that create who gets to do art and be art and buy art and consume it and stuff like that to begin with, which is why art changes when the economy like ebbs and flows and shit like that. So I think that's why this is such a frustrating thing to think about because we tend to I know, think I know. in terms of our own agency, like within like, like comedy or music is like a room that we're in and we're like, okay, how do I solve yeah. stuff in here? But it's like, no, 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 you have to change like gravity or something huge foundational yeah. thing. That's also affecting the thing from outside yeah. of what you're even perceiving. I don't know, man. I know, I know. And that's why I do, again, have to come back to like, because we can't control, not to sound like a AA person, but like, (laughs) because we can't control everything, I do think it's important to start with what we can control, which is our own expectation and our own framework of why we do something and why we dedicate time to it or them, if it's a person, you know what I mean? And like, uh, having a more thorough examination of how and why you want to go about doing something, whether it's comedy or writing or being in a relationship. And then every day making that choice when the devil tempts you (laughs) to be like, Hey, this is an easy path to like get more money or be more famous or get them to like you more or whatever it is. Have the fucking strength every day to you know, don't think about it like it's a hundred days of having to answer the devil. It's just the next time the devil asks, you got to be ready. This is why I know I'm good. I know I am doing this and it is not to be on Fallon, <laughs> you know, and it is not to, you know what I mean? Like Fallon, being on Fallon only has importance because you've already linked it to, it's connected to me making more money or getting more, uh, exposure i guess as much as people like to say hate to say but if you already don't necessarily frame your art as like i will do anything to get money that means you're already giving yourself the space to say no to some things because money is not everything yeah having a spine rules yeah it's not very uh common to comedians oh that's the thing we didn't fucking talk about is the comedians are brave thing which is uh... (laughs) (laughs) let's close it with that because i gotta fucking go to the store and buy cigarettes (laughs) um okay well so the other thing that happened this week is that uh while people were arguing about the joe rogan thing because the other thing that happened is that he got fucking um he somewhat eventually uh somebody called him out for having used the n-word or mentioned it or used it i'm not really sure i listen to i don't listen to this podcast because it sucks but like um you know somebody made a compilation of all the times he had said the n-word in the past and it was like 70 episodes or something yeah Mm -hmm. and not to mention they they removed 121 i want to say yeah and not not to mention outside of just saying the n-word a lot of comedians defense of that it's like well not every time you say it it's like you know use versus mention and stuff like that like you're just talking about it and that's true but the other thing is he also has on people who talk in these like really fucking uh dark conservative race science eugenicist sort of ways about like dog whistle ways yeah where they're explaining things that are hella racist but they're just explaining history through a certain point of view and to me that's the more racist stuff but people who defend it will also say well that stuff's not racist because they're just talking about history so it's like well is it that or is it like literally what is racist to these people if it's not using slurs or actually like expressing a very fucking grainy like well thought out 
three-dimensional view of history that conceives of people as having, uh, you know, better genes than each other and bell curve science and stuff like that. Well, it doesn't matter because, you know, that, he's both. So he's a racist, I think. you can What he's doing is racist, at least. Um, but what happened is uh, because people, because comedians get fixated on this idea of, um, you know, not every time someone says the N-word, they're saying it. Sometimes yeah. they're using it as a joke, which is true. Uh, Whitney Cummings tweeted that you know in, sorry, she sucks so much i don't sorry. know man i kind of had higher hopes for her so i know because you know she did do the thing of uh she refused to go on legion of skink right did she's you know within yeah, this yeah. world is yeah, often yeah. the better person within it and like on that documentary yeah. we watched of the comedy store she didn't really buy into the cancel culture stuff and stuff yeah and i've heard that she kind of has a life outside of comedy and i think that's probably yeah. why she's like this but this is was a total like this was not she, her sucks like she also did and fucking she hung out with Dalia the whole time he was bringing teenagers to hang out with them after fucking going to the store. Yeah. So she was like one of the ones that was like not just laughing it off and not calling it out, but then like giving him jobs on her TV show. She was absolutely co-signing for this person. I know. And then you I know, had, I don't had, know. She sucks. I had I was hopeful for her because she seemed yeah. like she did not go in lockstep with this line of thinking yeah. all the time. But I think it's probably just because she just doing other shit sometimes but she does to a degree that is inexcusable for sure and she made this point which is the very fucking beat to death point that comedians make all the time which is not true i don't think which is that transgressing in this way is the point of it is to explore and give you dominion over these dark fucking spaces, which is bullshit most of the time, because usually when comedians do it, they aren't using their own darkness. They're using somebody else's. So like you're not engaging in the very well thought, like, traditional actual fucking thing i talk about it all the time I and mean, the reason you make jokes about getting molested or whatever the fuck or being you know experiencing racism and stuff like that is because it gives you control over it and power over it and that is a real thing but it's not what's happening every single time comedians do it and by and large it's the opposite it's they're usually doing it uh because they just figured out that they can get away with it and that it sells and stuff like that but even yeah. i mean comedians might convince themselves that they're doing it the way she phrased it was that a comedian job is to guide you through a spooky haunted house or a spooky (laughs) mental haunted house and that we're like you know the exact words but we're like these brave people that uh, are the only people in society that are capable of doing this and this is like the function that we serve or whatever and that is uh, I think it's such embarrassingly bad writing though too the main thing to me is I people that whenever I talk to people that aren't comedians and haven't been in in comedy I'm like, you have to be like... I found very, it, I found it. Let no, me read it. All right. Just, okay, sure. Sorry, go on, go on, go on. Oh, you have yeah. to be very you naive. You have to be very... T- okay. To think that comedians are motivated by the truth. This is a very like romanticized thing that only people who mm-hmm. never fucking hung out with us understand. If you hang out with comedians, you understand comedians are motivated by attention. Even like the best <laughs> oh, of them. So cute. It's all about <laughs> getting to do comedy. Like look at Chappelle. Like his whole thing is like, I man, the fact that I get to like headline these arenas means I'm the best or whatever. He doesn't yeah. give a fuck about what he's saying. <laughs> you know, no. it's dude, even the way he walked into his fucking community with Whatever the fuck, whatever, wherever he, what was that? Community, whatever, at the meeting with all the people uh, for his city council, that's what it was. Um, was like I said, you know, like it wasn't a regular person who's like here, you know, as a homeowner and that's it. And they're like a regular Joe or whatever. It was a 
person who's obviously a performer and comfortable speaking in front of people. And uh, he got up and immediately did like a kind of a grand gesture. So everybody like clapped because he's famous. So he like walked up and you know, tapped the the mic with his hat twice, you know, and was just like, oh, hey, yeah, you know, can you believe that I'm here? I know, right? <laughs> he like even made a joke at the beginning. It's just like. Just loves the mic. You love it. And That's you it. just don't, you only exist in, in the sense of that, of like loving the mic, which I guess is something that some comics admire. It makes him pure or something, but it sucks because then you don't see like you. Okay. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. What do you think about this? Seinfeld, I think, pisses people off less, even though he had like the 17 year old girlfriend and he also has this inaccessible. He's been a rich guy for a long time. And we hear stories about how he goes to the cellar and like not only does he bump comics, but he bumps. Bumping means like you might be on the headline on the lineup to perform. But Jerry Seinfeld, the famous comic shows up. So who the fuck are you? Jerry Seinfeld going up. We maybe will put you up later. Maybe not, <laughs> you know. So that's called bumping, right? So Seinfeld would show up, shows up at the cellar, bumps comics, and then it like turns out he like also parks his red Ferrari illegally right <laughs> on McDougal. <laughs> and then like cops come in and had to like get whoever this fancy car is to come get it. And it's like while he's on stage. Yeah, dude. So he does these like sort of also unrelatable things, you know? Yeah. But here's the thing about Seinfeld. Seinfeld never claims to be the underdog. Seinfeld never claims to be like speaking from a position of like, I can uh, attack whomever because I have been oppressed and I have been trodden upon. Yeah. He talks like I'm a rich white guy and I get to talk like a rich white guy, like Larry David. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Chappelle simultaneously wants to be a rich guy. Honestly, I guess a rich white guy because, <laughs> you know, of doing this shit of keeping poor people out of his neighborhood, supporting fucking super shitty politicians that are like genuinely going to hurt a lot of people of color and poor people and working class people, uh, et cetera, right? Or attacking trans people, uh, all of that stuff. And then wants to turn around and claim that it's not real and it's not a real attack because poor him, he's of a marginalized community and identity. You know what I mean? Like, he wants to play both sides of it. Yeah. It's weird and kind of gross. Well, yeah. It's not, certainly not brave. What's that quote? Yeah. By the way. Oh, the Whitney one? Yeah. Oh, so her tweet, <laughs> which is really funny because it's like sometimes I'm, I'm just always like, you know, you could have just not said shit about any of this and nobody would be talking about how you're a moron. <laughs> like, yeah. just shut the fuck up. So she tweeted, uh, comedians did not sign up to be your hero. It's our job to be irreverent and dangerous, to question authority and take you through a spooky mental haunted house so you can arrive at your own conclusions. Stay focused on the people we pay taxes to, to be moral leaders. That sucks. Yo, uh, can I tell you something? We also don't pay politicians to be moral leaders. Yeah, no. To make policy. Well, we also they are held yeah. hostage by them. We don't yeah. really choose politicians. They just are part of yeah. the ruling class, you know? But, like, the idea that comedians question authority makes my fucking skin crawl because my experience with comedians has been, by and large, like, the negative parts of it are exactly because they refuse to question authority. Like, yeah. you know, I was thinking about this and was just like, to say that while 
I mean, comedians have like attacked me, committed revenge porn against me, doxed me and stuff like that. And other people within comedy will do stuff like DM me and go like, uh, oh, I'm so glad you're standing up to that person. Don't repeat this, though. I don't want anyone to know that I don't like that person because I should get to work because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I should not have to fucking lose money or whatever. That is 100% of the time comedians motivations. I mean, when Lewis fucking attacked me at that show, there's another comic who was there and who never said anything about it. And I went up to him eventually because people were calling him out and going, well, why didn't he say anything about this if it happened? And I said, well, yeah, why aren't you saying anything about this? And he just went, oh, I don't, yeah, I don't think I saw anything. And I was like, I was looking right at you like you were there. This motherfucker just lied and just said like, yeah, "Yeah, it's, I mean, it's fucking clearly more important to him to work at the fucking stand than it is to like, like to, to question authority. (laughs) Like you would have to question authority in this, in this situation to defend me, which is why fucking all these cowards didn't. And like, another thing is like all these fucking comics that are saying this, Whitney Cummings store comic. Jeff mm-hmm. Ross is working at the fucking store left and right. He, everyone yeah. knows he's a pedophile, right? Mm-hmm. But he owns everything and he's got all the power and you can yeah. lose work. You can get kicked out of that shit for pointing that out. So no one is questioning yeah. authority. And you might, as a comic, make an argument, well, like, oh, well, we question it where we can or whatever. And like, we work within the frameworks of capitalism. But the thing is, capitalism is a superstructure. It, it, everything exists inside of it. So yeah. where are these brave stances you're taking if they're, if all of them are constrained within these huge fucking dynamics that yeah. are keeping you from doing any good in the world? No, you're fucking pussies. You just want attention. It's not yeah. brave. I'm brave. Fuck you. I if you if you're brave, you get hurt. You know. Mm. I don't know. Um, I mean, it, that was a hilarious tweet, and people dunked on it because it, you know, it's pretty <laughs> that bad. Was so funny. Oh, because actually, so what happened was, uh, dude, it's so funny. So actually, this was a time, another time. Uh, this will be my last comment, but like the. It's funny because what was happening was this like whole thing of like people arguing about whether or not like what comedian's job was. Right. Right. And it was all kind of going with this way of like, we're making fun of it because it's not that serious. We're not that important. But then also like some people being like Whitney, you know, being like, oh, we have a serious job to walk you through the haunted house or whatever. <laughs> but even in dunking on her, what happened is that fucking uh comedian's job started trending on twitter within the hour (laughs) and there were more than a thousand tweets within like 40 minutes they were like that began with a comedian's job is not (laughs) and it was just like comics like all kinds of people just being like a comedian's job is not to make you laugh a comedian's job is to uh ask people how long they've been dating (laughs) or whatever the fuck (laughs) you know like their punchline was and so what was extremely ironic about this, Jake, is that even as you're all shitting on yourselves by making a joke about how unimportant a comic's job is, you demonstrated why a comic's job is important because you literally took over a popular social media platform with something that most people were seeing and they didn't even understand why everybody was talking about a comedian's job is what? <laughs> and they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> And it's crazy that you did have that effect where you sparked, you all sparked this like viral thing where everybody was making their joke. Even people who didn't know about the Whitney Cummings thing, who didn't know about the fact that it was about Joe Rogan, (laughs) you know, like they just saw people making this joke over and over again. They were like, I have one too, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and they just joined in. And 
to me, it was a demonstration of the fact that like, even when you are like, quote, just joking, you are participating in the action of spreading an idea. And you don't know how that idea is going to land on another person. It might just make them laugh, as you quote intended, but it might also inspire them to get involved and also say something. It also might chip away at the uh, the way that they held this idea on a pedestal or as a taboo that couldn't be talked about. It also might encourage them to make fun of this idea in front of their loved ones for the first time ever. Like, right? You just—that's yeah. why you have agency when you yeah. in, when you decide to engage in the thing where you use slurs and transgress and yeah. you don't know how it's going to fucking play out. True. The other way too. Yeah. It, I mean, so for some people, that's the thing. I mean, I'm, I'm an edgelord. Like for some, for some yeah. people in some, some people's reaction to that type of comedy is positive, but by and large, yeah. a lot of people as a byproduct, like you don't get to we choose how they react. Reaffirmation of their race. It actually yeah. enables people to then continue yeah. to press that fucking button and get that dopamine from it, and that spreads like a lot of bullshit. Which is why I think yeah. I'm pro edgy comedy. I think you need to be responsible with it, and I think we, it needs to happen yeah. in a fucking dark, seedy club somewhere, and you know, not on the internet or whatever. But like the, the, to understand what you're describing goes fucking full circle and it does make you realize that comedians do kind of have a job although i take a little umbrage with the word job because it's very capitalistic <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. and i think that i mean I also take umbrage with the word fucking comedian purpose. it's probably purpose how about purpose i'd say function uh function Ooh, good one okay i don't even like calling people comedians i calling them people who do <laughs> comedy because this whole thing where like you're like well i'm a comedian and i had a calling it's like the way cops talk uh, about what they do i had a none. calling which is why i can't <laughs> yeah. work at the grocery store with you you understand when coronavirus <laughs> happened yeah we had to bail out people who worked at the grocery store because that was their calling but my calling is uh that i don't have a job basically <laughs> and I hang out at a nightclub and it's like no 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 no, no. art th this is also goes back to the whole thing where it's like we need to level the entire fucking yeah. structure of society to make art make any sense because what we need is is for people to just be people and then you know do the, be defined as themselves and then like yeah. do comedy but the, what what's so gross about it when i hear people like making this argument i know all these fucking people i've been in the open mics and trenches with them for fucking ever i know what they're doing is they're romanticizing getting to do a thing which is like fun but not important and like yeah. it's so self-serving to be like well this is I'm a brave truth teller and what you're doing is rationalizing the fact that you wasted your life in open mics and like trying to say, well, this is the same thing as going to college in a certain way. This gave me like yeah. an education and a foundation to be able to be, to think of myself as this trained expert or whatever. And you're not, yeah. nobody is in art really. You're just, you're a person. And sometimes you do a thing that serves a function socially like we saw with dunking on this fucking tweet and like yeah. you know you might argue people attempt to do me all the fucking time except <laughs> i'm right about the things i say <laughs> all right i love it i think it's great i think we weren't we had a lot to say but we weren't that mad we just were very concerned <laughs> no i'm not mad i'm just to have a manic i'm so full of beans this week i don't know why i'm getting a lot of I'm work done uh, it's gonna be good i'm, I'm gonna do the benjamin for the next episode i promise okay uh but yeah okay send us letters people we'll do i'm not gonna do a mailbag today i'm tired but maybe in the weekend we'll see we'll talk yeah, let's do this um 
yeah so email us at whyyoumadpod at gmail.com uh with any commentary stuff you disagree that we said don't hate me for not liking music i don't mean it you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah that's it for me you want to you get a plug you got shows coming up yeah you got a show yes okay uh if you're in new york i have a show uh the next tuesday at the gutter nyc my show meet space comedy um at my friend Alex Patak from PDA is on it. Simone Norman's on it. Max Bruno's on it. A bunch of great people are on it. Uh, come on out. You can get tickets. I, everything's in my pinned tweet. My Rush Ticks show, the online comedy club, is uh, February 24th at 6 East. No, 6 Pacific. Uh, so that's 7 Central and 8, 9. Five, you know how time zones work. I don't know. Uh, links to that will be in the show notes. And I also have this other show called Pod Damn America I talked about. You should listen to that Steve Albini episode. I'm really fucking proud of it. And uh, we just announced the full run today of the, sh- the yeah. tour dates I'm doing with Eve Six and We Are the Union and Field Medic for a couple of shows, too. Come hang out. We're hitting a bunch of different places all over the country. I'm going to be at the New York one. Hell yeah. La Poisson Rouge. Good Les venue. La Poisson Rouge. I'll be there. Um, and I think that's all I got to plug. God, I'm so tired. Oh, Bye. I'm also on 51st oh. Jokes at the Bell House. <laughs> <laughs> when is that? The 18th of February. It'll be in the show notes. Nice. And my stuff. Okay, cool. Cool. All right. Bye. Bye.